What do you do when your prayers are not answered? Or what do you do when the answer is no? What do you do when God's ways are not your ways and he doesn't give you what you want or even what you think you need? I love this gospel. I know they say this often, but it is one of my favorite gospels in the New Testament. And the reason I love it so much is because it's so real. You know, sometimes we hear gospels and stories in the Bible and you're like, it's just so kind of ethereal. It's out there. But this one, this one hits right at the heart of what every human being experiences. John the Baptist is in crisis right now. Like the, the most holy man born of woman, according to Jesus himself, is completely confused. He's in prison, he's rotting away, and he's about to be beheaded. And he's in prison because he preached the gospel. He prepared the way of the Lord. He preached against immorality. Herod married to his brother's wife. And his cousin Jesus, the one he identified last week as the Lamb of God, the Messiah that had come into this world, is doing nothing. Literally doing nothing. And not only is he doing nothing for John the Baptist, there's no letter to the emperor, there's no outcry against Herod, there's no public protest. He's doing nothing that John said he would do. I don't know if you remember this from last week, so I'm just going to repeat it for you. John told us what the Messiah was going to look like. He says, There is one coming after me who is greater than I. He will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will separate the chaff from the wheat. His axe is in his hand. It is at the root of the tree. He will chop down those trees that bear no fruit and will throw them into the fire. What's John? I mean, John's expecting this warrior king messiah riding in on a white horse what's jesus doing drinking wine with sinners and tax collectors telling them "Ah, i'll give you a second chance that doesn't sound like an axe cutting down a tree that's bearing no fruit he's showing mercy and forgiveness and so john about ready to die is terribly confused and so he sends one or two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him a question. John the Baptist, St. John the Baptist, the holiest man to ever live, according to Jesus himself, asks this question to Jesus. And it is blunt as this. Are you really him? Or did I make a mistake? Should we just look for another guy? Because you're not what I expected. You're not doing what I thought you were going to do. Explain this to me. I think John the Baptist, like some of us in this church right now, like me, often in my life, is confused and puzzled. Even saddened that what we expected from God is not happening. And he, like all the saints, like all of us, had to learn to trust when I was in seminary, I had the chance to go to Poland. The, the single reason I went to Poland, actually there were two reasons I went to Poland. The first reason I went to Poland is I wanted to see, I wanted to see Auschwitz, the Nazi concentration camp. And for the record, every person in this church, every person in the world should have to go to Auschwitz. 
Just to see what human beings are capable of. Second reason I really wanted to go there was to just kind of be in the footsteps of John Paul II. He's my hero. I don't know if you guys know this. I think I told you this before, but my middle name is Carol. Oh, you laughing? Huh? Everybody made fun of me when I was a kid. And I was like, no, it's Charles. You know? <laughs> it's Polish. But now it's really cool. You know why? Because John Paul II's name was Carol Waitia. I was named after the great Pope John Paul II. So I was like, I got to go and just see all this stuff. And one of the places I really wanted to go is the shrine of Our Lady of Chestahova. Our Lady of Chestahova is also known as the Black Madonna. And this shrine, John Paul II, went, he went there all the time. And after he was elected Pope, he went back to that shrine to pray. And after he got done praying, he addressed the people, and then he famously said these words. Very simple, but very profound. He said, I am a man of great trust. I learned to be so here. In other words, at the feet of the Virgin Mother of God. I think that one of the reasons he was so full of trust is because his whole life demanded trust. It was the only thing that kept him going. I, got, I don't know if you guys know much about his life, but his mother died when he was eight years old. Then the Nazis occupied Poland, and he was put into forced labor in a stone quarry where he got hit by a truck and somehow survived. Then his father died when he was 21. Then on Black Sunday, the Nazi Gestapo rounded up all the young men in the area, and for some reason, the young John Paul II is in his uncle's basement laying prostrate on the floor praying that they don't find him and they for some reason don't check the basement then he secretly attends seminary underground then he thinks nazism is gone communism moves in and obliterates his beloved poland then he's shot then he gets parkinson's and then he dies in front of the world drooling on himself as an old man. It was like his whole life was based on trust. And he learned to trust Jesus by looking to Mary. And he learned to trust, especially when life was unfair and brutal and confusing, and especially when the answer to his prayer was no. And through this trust, you guys, do you realize he became one of the greatest popes to ever live? Not only through his witness to hope and his prayer and his trust and being known throughout the world and traveling and meeting people, his pontificate almost single-handedly brought down communism. That's what we can do when trust is flowing through us, when we're not trying to control, when we're letting God get his way. And the Blessed Virgin Mary can teach us in a remarkable way how to do that. I think that people think that Mary's life was easy, right? We just celebrated the Immaculate Conception. She's conceived without sin. She had it easy. We have it hard. We got to deal with all this sin. She didn't have that. Mary's life was incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. I just want to give you a little rundown, a little meditation on her life so you understand why we should look to her. And what we can learn from her. First, she had to trust that God was able to convince the man she was married to that the child in her womb was not from infidelity, but from the Holy Spirit. Good luck. Good luck with that one.
Then she has to trust that God would give her the grace to endure the gossip and the scorn that she most certainly had to endure in this little dinky town where the woman you know must have talked about her unexpected pregnancy. She had to trust that God would protect her child from Herod when he went on his murdering spree of children. She had to trust that her husband, when she moved with her to another country where he had no work, didn't speak the language, had no leads, and knew no one that God was going to take care of them. She had to trust that God would provide when her husband died and she was left a widow. She had to trust that her son, who she knew was God, if there's anybody that knew he was God, it was her, she had to trust that this man, who was meant to be the Messiah, was still at home at 30 years old, doing nothing. I mean, I can just think about this. He's like, really? We went through all this and you're still at home? You know what kind of scandal that would have been? He's not married. He's living at home with his mom. And she just kept believing. Then she had to trust when he did finally begin his public ministry, the crowds began to reject him, even call him the devil. Then she had to trust when he's betrayed by one of his own friends and arrested. She had to trust as she watches her son scourge to the point where his body is barely recognizable. She had to trust when her son is nailed to a cross, hanging above her with his blood dripping onto her. She had to trust when she wraps his body in a linen shroud and put him in the tomb, asking, how can this be when it seems like every promise ever made to her was broken? This child who the angel told her would be great, whose kingdom would have no end, who will inherit the throne of David, his father, and his reign will never end, is dead. He's dead in a tomb. She had to trust as she agonizingly tried to fall asleep that good Friday night, a day that she did not know was good. She had to trust when she went about her day on Holy Saturday, not knowing that the next day was Easter. And in all these experiences, and so many more, she learned and so can teach us in a remarkable way that God is faithful. That for every situation he gives grace which is sufficient. Whether it's the sickness of a child, a loss of a spouse, a bad doctor's report, a child who has left the faith. She's able to teach us more than anyone that nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible for God. And perhaps above all, what she teaches us is that regardless of what the headlines say or what the news anchors are shouting... What Christian or anti-Christian legislation has been passed, whatever goes into effect, that ultimately, the victory is God's. And one day, one day, he will make all things new.